Well, screw you, we're going to go anyway. So. Alright, here we go. Today is April 17th, 2016, and this is episode 157 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hey, Jerry, how are you, sir? Good to see you. Likewise. And hear you for those on the... Right. Yeah, yeah. The stuff and the thing with the stuff. Right. So uh, just before we get started, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employer. So please don't take it that way. Uh, Anyhow, so uh, yeah. By the way, I I just want to say that I was very happy to see that the world continues to go on after the, uh, you know, the hellacious vulnerability that was bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was really unfortunate. (laughs) I'll just put it that way. Should call it like bad PR. (laughs) Well, somebody spun up sad luck pretty quickly and, uh, there were a few. There were a few different ones. There's there was one about a, a WordPress vulnerability. But <laughs> the the, uh, the the source of the vulnerability was uh, was the person who wrote it. And well, well, they're figuring out that that step three question mark question mark question mark step four profit thing is what they're working on. That's very true. I gotta say though, this was so exactly the wrong thing we should be doing as an industry. Yeah. I I don't know a better solution yet, but when all was said and done, this was not worth the hype. This is not worth it. We have a finite amount of attention and time we can spend on any one thing or on anything in general. We have a finite amount. The problem with something like this is they'll argue, well, you know, it gets attention, it gets this, but should have it should it have had this much attention? And I would argue no. I would say that this is a fairly run-of-the-mill sort of vulnerability. This was not a heart bleed. This was not a shell shock. This was not, you know, this was boring. <laughs> and stuff that happens every month. You know, this is right up there with a lot of stuff Microsoft pumps out every month and others in, in their average patching cycle. So the problem is it spun a lot of people up. I was getting emails from executives. I was getting emails from, you know, our, our cyber threat intelligence team. And, you know, and I was like, well, what do you think about this? What's going on? I'm like, well, let's just, let's just wait and see. Let's just wait and see. And then, of course, the, the day comes where it releases and everybody's scrambling to figure out what it is and, and figure out if this is something we need to react to. Meanwhile, we're spinning cycles on this that we really didn't need to spin. So, uh, you know, shame on this company. Uh, and shame on us as an industry for falling for it. We really should be a lot more skeptical, I think, going forward of, of these sorts of named and branded and logoed vulnerabilities that have theme songs and bumper music and <laughs> dancing mascots. Models. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, most of the models are like middle-aged, overweight hacker types sitting in their basement like us. Yeah. What, what are you saying? Uh, I'm, I'm saying keep your shirt on. Oh, okay. 
So, yeah, I, I know we weren't even preparing to talk about this today, but I, I do think it bears saying that because this is what gets executives' attention, and then they divert those of us down the trenches from from actually working on stuff that really matters. Yeah, that that's that's been my my big problem, and we've seen this happen quite a lot. Whether it was Venom or Drown, or, you know, and not not to take away from the fact that these are at the end of the day vulnerabilities, but you know there is a prioritization scheme that has established for a particular reason, and in this particular case, you know there were actually other vulnerabilities that were far more important in uh, just in that one patch. Tuesday release than this one. Absolutely. And and that's the, I think that's the the problem that we uh, have to deal with. Now, I think the other thing to consider too is that the more of these things that happen, there is a boy that cried wolf type syndrome, right? And at some point, I think people are going to stop caring, which kind of portends interesting things for the next time there is a heart bleed. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's going to have to be an organic sort of grassroots groundswell of concern the next time something real comes out if if this is if we keep going down this path. Because people are going to get cynical, rightly so, and this is clearly turning into and admitted by this stupid company. They wanted this publicity. They want it. Well, I'm hoping it's backfired on them badly right now. I really, really do. I really hope that they are getting punished in the market for this. Um but they wanted this level of publicity. They wanted this level of, of uh, awareness so that it drives their marketing and makes them all fancy. And uh, I think it was completely overrated. Yep. Well, anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> that's that. Hopefully we don't have too many more of these to talk I, about. I, I think, honestly, we're going to see a lot more of this before we're going to see less. I think this is the wave of the vulnerability future. I hope you're so, wrong certain companies i hope you're wrong all right well let's get into our stories our first one tonight comes from helpnetsecurity.com and the title is eu approves new data protection rules jerry this sounds really boring why are we talking about this well it's it's an interesting thing because it has some gigantic ramifications and it's also um I think in some venues being misinterpreted, not in this article in particular, but um, the headline, the, the headline grabbing news is that violating the principles of this new data protection regulation could result in a fine of 4% of your annual revenue, which is, wow. which has some teeth. I mean, when, you know, when you look historically at some of these, um, some of these data privacy uh, regulations, when when you violate them, you know you you have fines in the tens of thousands of dollars. And when you know when that's lo- levied against a Google or a Facebook, it it kind of gets lost in the noise. But when you start talking about finding, you know, four percent of you know hundreds of billions of dollars, that, that adds up to real money uh, fairly quickly. So yeah, it's an interesting. You know, target. In many ways, you've heard regulators talk about we want to fine an organization enough money to make it hurt, but not enough to make it an existential fine to put them out of business. Right. So apparently, the regulators decided that four percent was the, the the magic number there. 
Yeah, and, and and also I think the the point is that it's up to four percent, right? So yeah. it's I don't think it's an automatic four percent. So I, I'm sure there's there's a though if you're real cynical, you could just count that into your expenses and just plan for it. Ouch! <laughs> I suppose. So so the, there were a couple of other um, requirements or, or new th- things in in this regulation. Uh, one was a right to be forgotten, which which by the way was already um, more or less codified in the EU, and some interesting, uh, I think, pros and cons have have emerged. But I think the, uh, the the new requirement here is that it's easier to exercise your right to be forgotten. Um, they have clarified the requirement for giving consent, so it's no longer. Uh, acceptable to just you know have a have a checkbox with a default um, you know with with the the default checked um, you actually have to you know f- explicitly require someone to check a box in order to capture their data or transfer their data um, one of the interesting ones I thought was the right to transfer your data to another service provider and this one kind of sounded like the whole porting your phone number you know <laughs> and, and my assumption and it could be a wrong assumption <clears throat> is paired with this transfer is that the original provider would delete the data not just make a copy and you know send it on well i think that's i think that's right but the yeah. you know the um the, the ramifications or the use case they they mention is if you are a an eu citizen and you have let's say your email hosted with yahoo and you don't like Yahoo anymore, and you want to move to Google, uh, now Yahoo and Google need to, to be able to work together in order for them to transfer your mail from uh, you know from Yahoo to Google. What's, what, it's kind of crazy. Well, it is. I mean, I don't think, on the one hand, it's not terribly complicated, but on the other hand, I do wonder if there is, and it's, I've actually read through, I didn't see if there's any expectation that your email address goes with it. Hopefully didn't get that crazy, but um, let's see. Uh, another one that was, was pretty interesting, and I hope this kind of get catches on all over the world, and that is ensuring that privacy policies are explained in clear and understandable language. That seems like a, a sensible thing. Uh, and then uh, finally, the right to know when your data has been hacked. Um, and, and so, you know, the leading up to this, there were lots of articles I've read. This has been in the coming for years now. The 4% fine has been, um, you know, in the, in the news for quite some time. Uh, but a lot of the articles I've read have, have basically said, you know, if you are a company holding data and you get hacked, you could potentially be fined up to 4% of your revenue. And as far as I can tell, I'm certainly not an expert. Haven't yeah, read truth. everything. Um, it, it's that's not the case, right? It's only that fine for four percent is if you violate the tenets of this regulation, and there aren't any uh, data protection uh, requirements other than what we just went through. There isn't any, you know, any specifics about encrypting the data or um, how to protect the data. It's just that you um, you need to be able to uh, purge the data if asked. You need to be able to uh, demonstrate that you've obtained consent 
and that you facilitate data transfers and that if you get hacked or if, if you're hacked and lose their data that you notify the authorities in a timely manner so um, I, but I do think that my my understanding is there is a another piece of legislation working its way through the EU related to cybersecurity, which is the other side of this coin. And I think that that one will also have some teeth in it, uh, which that that may be where you see the, you know, the the four percent fine for being hacked. But this, it's not here, though. Yeah, it's interesting. If you, if you read it one way. You could still get hacked, and as long as you've operated in good faith around these rules, that they wouldn't necessarily find you. Maybe that's covered by something else. But <clears throat> the other thing that's interesting is, you know, what about those companies that aren't based in Europe but do business in Europe? I'm assuming that that these would apply to that as well. So yes. that may be something where these folks really need to watch out, especially as those organizations that aren't based in Europe who aren't intimately familiar with these rules. Uh, but are doing business in Europe, they don't want to get surprised by this. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not actually uh, called out in this article, but um, in, in if you actually go to the Europa website, they call out that if you are a data processor, and so if you think about like Facebook and Google, those are not companies based in Europe, but they handle the personal data of European citizens. And, you know, I think they do have data centers that are located in Europe, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. If you are a, what's called a data processor, and that's actually a, a legal term, you now have to have a, a data protection officer, which is uh, an interesting thing. And there's some, there's some specific requirements for that position, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope so. I, I remember when the government, the U.S. government, uh, dictated that there had to be basically IT security officers in every office of a certain size. And what inevitably ended up happening was secretaries, assistants, admins started getting assigned this role. So they had this role assigned to them, but really had no knowledge or expertise or training to actually execute on this role. So that's what worries me when someone starts dictating that thou shalt you know, assign a person to do X. Well, we also got to make sure that that person is actually qualified to do X and has the authority and capability and, and you know, actual responsibilities involved with that. Well, I think the, I think the EU seems, uh, their approach to that at least is the downside if you screw it up. <laughs> It's 4%. Yeah, you know, a, a fine of 4% of your revenue. So, so you know, the other thing I was going to say is certainly I'm no big fan of, of regulations, but the EU certainly seems to be much further ahead than the U.S. in terms of data privacy laws and things like right to be forgotten and that sort of thing, which really just doesn't exist in, in the U.S. market right now. Yeah, you know, we, I think we're starting to see some of this but it's really at a state-by-state -state basis. So, for instance, California, I think, and there's, there's a few other states that, that have, they're, they're not to the extent of the EU, for sure, but you know, there, are, um, you know, there are some requirements about notification of breaches and, and those sorts of things. I, I would expect, by the way, this this whole data protection regulation is is replacing kind of a hodgepodge of stuff that was put in place
back in the 90s, I mean, before a lot of the current, uh, you know, online companies even it came into existence, I, I expect that we'll see this being used as a model, uh, probably both by states, maybe by the U.S., I don't know. But certainly, uh, I know that there are a lot of other countries, particularly in South America and some in Asia, who model their laws, many of their laws, after EU laws. I guess it's like the easy button, right? So, you know, the, I would say this is probably the start of a of a trend. Yeah, I would agree. And in some ways it's, you know, again, I'm not a big fan of, of government regulations, but consistent, you know, methodical regulations across a large area allows businesses to better cope with them. So, you know, in that sense, if you have to deal with government regulations, I'd rather they be consistent. I'd rather they be at least somewhat sane uh, and not changing on a regular basis because that allows companies to to figure out how to to work with them and uh, plan around. Yeah, and, and by the way, that is that is one of the um, people who have to deal with um, you know, transferring data in and out of the EU, mostly out of the EU, uh, know that the, the safe harbor facility in the EU was rescinded by a court case a couple of months back um, based on a, somebody who from Austria who sued, uh, I think it was Facebook. Uh, and, and in fact, it was actually related to the NSA spying. Um, but you know, the, the interesting thing is if, you, if we end up with more homogenous data protection laws, the requirements for those kinds of awkward you know, facilities goes away, right? Because if you look at the EU, you don't you don't need any special requirements to transfer data between, let's say, you know, France and Italy because they're part of the same data protection regime. Right. So I think you, the point you just made is very, is really very true. And, you know, it working at a, at a multinational company who does business in the EU, I can tell you um, it is, it is problematic you know, to, to have these different laws in different places. So, Yeah, certainly. It's it's very much like a company trying to deal with 50 different tax codes in the U.S. Exactly right. You know, although far, far more complex. So so moving on to our next story. This is a uh, an interesting follow-up to one we talked about last year. So you, if you have been a listener for a while or been reading the news for a while, you will know that a company named Hacking Team in in uh, Italy was hacked uh, last year and had like 400 gigabytes of data, which included email uh, email accounts and source code and things stolen. Hacking Team, just for reference, uh, is a company, as the name might lead one to uh, to imagine, develops software that is used by intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies and militaries and, you know, both, um, you know, the good countries and the bad countries, apparently, as, as we've come to learn. Um, it, it, it's software used by those organizations to spy on um, targets. I don't know if you want to call them victims or not, right? But the you know the, I, I think even uh, a number of U.S. law enforcement agencies were customers. You know, so if you are um, you know if you're if you're trying to run an investigation and you want to see if uh, if Jerry Bell is you know is is doing something on his iPhone, well they had a product for you. You could install you could trick 
Jerry into installing this piece of software and you can monitor what, what he was doing. Well, all of that stuff was stolen. And uh, at the time, nobody really knew how it happened. So uh, this uh, alleged, I do want to say that all of this is alleged to have come from the person who uh, who, who attacked uh, a hacking team, but he did a write-up, he or she, uh, did a write-up on how that went down. And uh, it's, by the way, it's, it's I would say, kind of um, necessary, less of a, you know, an, an explicit decomposition of how they, uh, how he attacked hacking team, he or she hacked hacking team, and more just about how to hack companies in general. And, uh, you know, it goes through a couple of specific uh, you know, challenges that, that he or she had getting in the hacking team. Uh, but again, lots of detail about how to, you know, how to perform reconnaissance, uh, how to, um, not a, not a lot of detail about how to actually, you know, initially penetrate, but then lots of detail about how to laterally move and then, uh, and whatnot. So I thought that this was a, a really good thing for people to read because it's, um, again, alleging that it's from the person that it claims to be a, a really great decomposition of how your network is going to get owned and, and the, the techniques that they might use. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. You know, it was interesting too, uh, early on, you know, he's talking about how he's doing recon and trying to figure out how he wants to get in and says, you know, some stuff that I think is true, which is that most folks go the social engineering and spear phishing route, uh, which I think is absolutely accurate. He or she ends up going a different route and finding an alleged zero day on either an email, uh, anti-spam or VPN appliance. Doesn't say which, uh, because apparently it's still undisclosed and unpatched and crafts, uh, what appears to be a remote code exploit with a backdoor and directly attacks one of those internet-facing appliances, which, to be honest, is relatively rare nowadays uh, for most company exploits. It's not that people aren't constantly scanning for things to compromise, especially if you've got WordPress and Joomla, but uh, in general, most of the attacks that we see are successful don't come in the front door like that. They come in usually through some sort of phishing, spear phishing, social engineering, something at, you know, initially attacking in essence an endpoint and the user. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, the, the, the talent required to pull this off in the way that it was alleged to have been pulled off is quite high. And, and I would say it's probably inordinately high as compared to the the contemporary way that companies are being hacked today and and as he as as he or she said and I'm going to say they from now on um they apparently were also the the person who attacked the other um I forget the name of the other company who also uh, produces the same stuff uh and but they they said that hacking team had a very very small relative to the other company hacking team had a very very small internet presence they had a website a customer portal uh, a, a spam and email filter and a um, vpn appliance now when i read the way he, uh, this person describes it 
I'm going to guess that the attack was against their VPN appliance. Um, just the, the description of it being an embedded device. And I found it very interesting uh, the, the way this person described the attack, having you know, basically found a zero day in that particular technology. So again, assuming it's the VPN appliance, apparently this person um, really worked very hard to refine the exploit and, and it claims to have uh, infected or, or compromised the same kind of appliance in inside of a, num a number of other companies to make sure that it actually worked and was reliable and and he was very or he or she was very very worried about um, causing some kind of outage that would uh, alert the the hacking team employees to something going on um, so anyway apparently it didn't didn't seem to be much of a problem by the way this person claims to have spent only a total of about a hundred hours on this attack which again if true that's a relatively low investment for uh, you know for the for the amount of damage uh, this person did um, some other things you know in the in the ensuing aftermath of of the breach we we got lots of really weird stuff like webcam video of developers working and and this person goes on to explain that apparently hacking team had installed and i don't it's not very clear if this was intentional or unintentional but they had actually installed on many of the developer systems the uh you know the 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 remote <laughs> implant as they like to be called uh, and were recording with the webcam and audio the developers as they were working and so so this person like it sounds like a lot of the data this person grabbed was actually uh, literally you know just uh, i guess hours and hours and hours of developers working in front of their computers now that is, is crazy exciting video let me tell you that is reality show in the making if you ask me well let's see if bob can compile accurate this time <laughs> yeah uh you know the other thing that i noticed from this and it's so true but this is a good example once the bad guy was in. It was relatively easy for him to do lateral movement and relatively easy for him to start escalating his privileges and relatively easy to find almost everything he wanted uh, once he was inside. Yeah. It was a very, very, very gooey center. And I think this is the case for the majority of the organization, uh, organizations out there, especially when you look at how the admins, he talks about how he went after sysadmins, he went after developers. And I get it. Security is a pain in the butt. But the problem is they are always working on the assumption that nobody has, has owned their systems because they're using single-factor auth everywhere. So it's easy for him to capture and reuse it. Uh, they, and, and so we've got to figure out where that balance is for, for an organization. Uh, they clearly didn't segment their environment very well uh, or very strongly. Uh, a lot of what was built was for convenience and ease of use and not security, which is a common theme that we see over and over and over again uh, and maybe that is the way it needs to be I, I don't know but I will say that there's a lot that the hacking team and other organizations could do to make 
internal lateral movement and privilege escalation and password reuse far more difficult. But it is a pain in the ass to the everyday guy who's working or girl in that environment. Yeah, the 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 way the way in which this person uh, got a foothold was was really interesting. That apparently hacking team was an uh, Active Directory shop, and he it's did, your favorite Active Directory. It, it is, you know. Well, and and it, we'll we'll go through why why that was a a problem here. So I, you know, again, uh, with the understanding that certainly Active Directory has many upsides, but you know, again, here here is uh, here's a problem. So anyway, uh, here we go. The the uh, the attacker found that there was an iSCSI vault, um, you know, effectively accessible. He he or she mounted it remotely using it, one of the one of the first things they did was set up a a socks proxy, right? So he or she set up a, a, a iSCSI client, routed through the socks proxy, mounted it, found some backups. One of the backups was their BlackBerry Enterprise server, downloaded the you know that, analyzed the image that was there, uh, found in, I guess, in memory. So it was either in, in the registry or in memory. It wasn't very clear to me. I actually found the credentials for the BlackBerry Enterprise Server user ID. That gave him a toehold to get into uh, Active Directory. He then went around and used Mimikatz to gather other credentials. And some of the credentials, by the way, were really weak. So there was uh, the, one of the sysadmins had a really, really, I think it was P4SSWRD, um, and and there was a lot of uh, hoopla uh, after uh, when that when that came out about how oh, holy cow how could you use such a dumb password and uh, the attacker here points out that you know he or she put that out there to be funny but the reality was Mimi Cats doesn't really care how complex your password is right and it wasn't he he didn't get the password because it was easy. Got it because it was, you know, Mimi Cats just <laughs> dumps everything. It doesn't doesn't really care. So, um, and by the way, it the the um, the article here gives informative uh, links to all the tools used. So uh, you know, so you too can can uh, roll your own APT. <laughs> well, and the other thing I'd recommend is for folks to to read through this and think about these attacks. Think about ways that you could make it harder for somebody to do these sorts of things in your organization. To be honest, that, that if that O-Day against the external enterprise is true, there's probably not a lot people could do about that. But spotting this sort of lateral movement and minimizing the capabilities to do lateral movement and escalation and hardening your internal environment goes a long way. Mind you, it takes a great deal of discipline, takes a great deal of effort, takes a great deal of time, and it's a pain in the ass, and most organizations don't do it. But look at what he did here. He got in, and he very slowly, methodically looked for any hole in their armor. And so he just had to wait until he found it. So that could mean as simple as you throw a box on the environment before you harden it, and you harden it over the weekend or the next day or whatever. It takes a great deal of discipline to stop these sorts of attacks if you're truly under this level of scrutiny. And I don't know that we do it well. I don't think many organizations do. No, 
No, and and uh, the attacker puts in some notes about how how you might go about detecting some of this stuff. So he talks about how a, a lot of the commands that he ran were detectable. You know, if you were looking at Windows events, um, you know, because like PS Exec was a common was was used pretty liberally, and and you know that that's pretty noisy. And he points out how you would go about detecting that. Um, Let's see. Oh, there was another uh, another interesting aspect to this was that the uh, the source code was actually stored on a separate network that was uh, not very clear if it was routable or isolated or whatever, but required some kind of authentication or or separate uh, method to get into. Um, and it wasn't very clear how to do that, but uh, apparently the the attacker here figured out who the sysadmins were apparently through using LinkedIn, by the way, um, and was monitoring their activity on, on, uh, on their, their laptops. And notice this guy had uh, this one system, and the one with the weak password had a TrueCrypt volume. And, you know, obviously he couldn't get into the TrueCrypt volume, so he just waited until the, uh, the sysadmin mounted it. And, <laughs> and the, once he saw it mounted, he copied it. Right, and uh, and that in fact was apparently where the passwords were uh, and information uh, he needed to get into that source code repository, and then uh, and then download all of the um, you know the, the code for the, the the product as we'll call it. So it's a great read. It's I think it's a translation from another from another language, so it's a little bit rough, and there's there are some details that you have to kind of infer but it's um you know it's just a i think it's just a great technical read of an attack whether or not it was necessarily legitimate this matches things i've seen in the past so yeah agreed even if it's not 100 percent real everything in here is valid yeah to my understanding yep so, uh, so there's that. Moving on to the next story, and this one comes from Threat Post, and uh, it's, a, it's a quick one. Uh, Apple has uh, has quietly end of life QuickTime for Windows, and I, I thought this was an interesting one to talk about because um, number one, it's uh, it's an important it's an important topic because. The Zero Day Initiative actually uh, announced that they found they have two critical vulnerabilities uh, in QuickTime for Windows, and Apple said they're not going to patch them. So you know, so here here we go. And apparently, Apple's not really. And I know they didn't. Do, they did this similar thing with Safari for Windows. They just kind of like stop supporting it. They just stop pr- producing patches. And um, you know, the, I think the challenge here is that a lot of patch management and vulnerability management programs require rely heavily on you know vendor patch notifications, and so here's a here's a really good example where the vendor didn't put out a patch notification because well there isn't going to be one, and so how would you if U.S. cert uh, in this particular case, started banging the pots and pans, saying, "Hey, maybe you, we should all uninstall QuickTime for Windows." Uh, in the absence of that, how would we, how would our vulnerability management programs handle something like this? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think it really comes down to lifecycle management of software and hardware. Uh, 
and and knowing what you have in your environment and knowing when they go end of support, which is not easy. I'm not saying it's trivial, but if you're only relying on your you know vulnerability management tool to tell you, hey, there's a patch out. <clears throat> now, some really good vulnerability management tools will also tell you when things go out of support, but it makes you wonder how many other you know this is a high profile piece of software. It makes you wonder how many other pieces of software are living in our environments that are completely out of support and we don't know it and have probably vulnerabilities. Yeah, exactly. And I know that especially in larger larger companies, there's a there's a heavy reliance on someone especially on the on the workstation side, kind of being the designated owner and looking out for things like this. But those tend to to be on the more uh, vertical applications, so you know the 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 more business applications, so your you know the the clients for your ERP or or what have you. Whereas this is more of a commodity thing, and often I, I, I'm not sure that there, at least in my experience, I'm not sure there often is that kind of oversight. So anyway, it's it's something to think about. Um, I, hopefully, most everybody's gotten the message on this one, but it's something to put in your pipe and yeah, smoke. And- and, you know, the short message is you probably should not install it in your environment on your Windows boxes. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really the, the bottom line there. Get it out of there. So uh, the last story is, uh, is also a follow-up. And this one comes from We Live Security, which is uh, the ESET, uh, ESET AV blog. And the title is Medical Data Breach Leads to Record Cash Settlement. So, uh, so the story here was the St. Joseph Hospital System or Health System in uh, in California was uh, breached, and they had thirty one thousand records stolen, and a couple of people filed uh, lawsuits, and and uh, a court awarded a twenty eight million dollar judgment, and um, apparently this is the largest, at least in California the largest judgment on a per individual, per victim basis. And I, I did the math and I think it came out to roughly $240 per person. So $7.5 million was set aside for the uh, uh, the 31,000 victims or aff- affected. I guess they're not necessarily victims unless something actually happened to them. Um, hey, hey, them's fighting words there. I know, $13 million dollars had to be spent on making their hospitals compliant with regulations. I thought that was an interesting take. Um, and, but you might be wondering, right, what about the lawyers? Who, what who, about the lawyers? Who Who's looking out for the lawyers? Don't worry. Okay. Don't worry. The lawyers got $7.4 million. Thank God. I know. I, w- I was worried. I was. I, I, I was too. I was. I mean, they've they've got to eat. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because uh, the plaintiffs there. got seven point five million, and the lawyers got seven point four million. <laughs> well, you know, the lawyers' children are hungry too. That's very true, and now they can eat pretty well. <laughs> I, I will tell you, just as a quick aside, uh, I'm watching Better Call Saul, which I know you, you don't. You're too old. You don't watch anything but Matlock, but. It's a TV show, which is a spinoff of Breaking Bad, and it's about a bit of a shady lawyer. And of course, this is pure fiction. I know that. But whenever I hear stories about this, it just sort of makes me think about TV shows like Better Call Saul and wondering how much of that is actually based on reality and how much is just pure fantasy of the writers. Look, Matlock was a lawyer, too. 
Okay. Matlock was he 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 was above reproach. What do you mean was? He's gone? What are you telling me? <laughs> He's he lives on in reruns. I'm I'm going to need a minute. This was I know it's sudden. So um at least at least tell me the lady from Murder she wrote is still with us, please. Angela Lansbury? I actually don't know. And the Golden Girls have got to be with us. Um, some of them. Oh my God, you're killing me. Sorry. I don't. I don't even know that life is worth. All right, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so, I think the uh, the the point there on that one. It, just to, we didn't do the recap on that one. The um, the way the breach happened actually <laughs> was the, that would be my fault. Sorry, go on. It's, it's all right. It's all right. Well, just don't let it happen again. Um, yeah. Good luck. The the data exposure occurred as a result of a mi misconfiguration of security settings. Um, what they don't actually say in the article here was, oh, I guess they do up a little above a little bit that the uh, the data was readily available on the internet and anybody searching Google could have found it. So it wasn't wasn't really a breach as much as it was published. <laughs> uh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, I think the the interesting oh. thing is that we're we're starting to see a trend line. I think at least of uh, of courts being a little bit less tolerant, I guess, and, and more. Oh, let's, let's be clear. What we're starting to see is that lawyers are convincing courts to be less tolerant. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But, but I think each, each, each successful case like this uh, sets another precedent, right? Sure. And that's the, uh, that's I, the thing to keep an eye on. And in one of these, this, you know, seems like fairly gross negligence if, you know, they could just search it on Google and find it. But we do run the risk, and this is what the challenge is going to be, is what is due diligence in terms of security? And do we run the risk of eventually punishing the victim? You know, the bad guys are going to be good at getting in. We, we've said this over and over again. It's almost impossible to stop a determined adversary. So the question is, what is due diligence? At what point is enough enough in terms of spending both in resources, money, time, uh, inconvenience to your staff to be quote unquote secure for your organization. And this is what I think is really going to be something that's going to get fleshed out as a result of more compliance, more laws and the cyber insurance industry over the next you know five to 10 years, because it's a tough, tough problem to solve. And I think it's also one that's going to be uh, keep being a moving target uh, as, as attacks evolve and as defenses evolve. So I don't know. I don't know that we're ever really going to get to the bottom of this, but I see more and more government organizations trying to get into this business of defining this is what thou shalt do to be secure. Yeah, well, we saw we, we talked about the story of the, the California Attorney General's report, um, I guess it was a week or two, two back, re making reference to the uh, the top 20 critical security controls. And uh, I, I, I'll tell you, I think that a lot of organizations struggle with the concept of, you know, what's enough, right? What, what, is the, what is the right level of security? And we see time and again things like in the FTC in the U.S. 
uh, going after companies because they got breached. You know, there was the, the they basically put LabCorp out of business, you know, and I think the, the concern is that you're right. You know, this in this particular case, I think it's a little different situation because, well, they just published the data. It wasn't that they were hacked. Um, but in other cases, yeah, they are the, I mean, both the people who had their data stolen and the company that was compromised are victims. Um, but at this, but at, at some level, there is a responsibility of the organization to keep that data safe. But I guess the question that no one really has a good answer for is, you know, what what is the level of required diligence there? Yeah, yeah. everybody could have the best of intentions, but knowing what to do and actually executing it with discipline over and over again is something completely different. Yep, yep. So, uh, you know. We uh, <laughs> we continue to not have an answer there. So anyway, that is the show for this week. Um, I definitely thank you for listening. And if you have any comments or questions, send us an email, info at defensivesecurity.org. If you like the show, give us some love on iTunes. Makes us feel good. It's our internet points. Um, thank you again to the people who have donated to our Patreon campaign. I continue to be in awe of that. Uh, let's see. You can find links to the stories we talked about today on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow Mr. Kell on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. With that, any uh, parting words? Have a great week, everybody. And thanks, as always, for listening. And we will talk again soon. Take care. Hit us on the interwebs. That's right. Bye-bye. Show up and lead thought. That's what you do. That's right. You leverage synergies to increase shareholder value. I can't speak because I just bought a car, so... (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think car fully encompasses it. I think... Yeah. Land, tank... It's more like a it's more like a, a aircraft Land. carrier on wheels. <laughs> Land yacht. Yeah. You ever see the you know the um Hella carriers from the Avengers? Mm-hmm. It's kinda like that, but it doesn't fly. Right. Yeah. And there's no, you know, random actors running around on it. Um not yet. And certainly no Scarlett Johansson. Not yet. That's true. That is true. I I should not give it some time. Prejudge Don't. your ability to kidnap anyone. I appreciate your support. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye bye. 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 Bye bye.